before we begin our New Year's homily. I want to draw your attention to a national study. It was done a few months ago, reported in Christianity Today just this last year. A national study surveying our teenagers, Christian teenagers from the age of 13 to the age of 17. All right, title of the study, National Study, study of Youth and Religion. Two researchers, Smith and Denton. Let me read to you Christianity Today's report on the research. What Smith and Denton found out when they sat down to talk with teens one-on-one, and we are blessed as a congregation with a whole lot of teens, what they discovered, however, should rock the world of every church in the country. Rock the church. In spite, here, here it is, in spite of their generally positive attitude toward religion, almost no teenagers from any religious background can articulate the most basic beliefs of their faith. Question, can you? Can you articulate what it is you believe and where it says that's what you believe? This interview excerpt, all right? This is with, this is with a 15-year-old who attends two church services every Sunday. Here we go. It illustrates how vaguely most teenagers answered a question about their personal beliefs. Here's the question. Are there any beliefs that are important to you? So now here's the teenager responding. I think that you should just, if you're going to do something wrong, then you should always ask for forgiveness. And he's going to forgive you no matter what because he gave up his only son for you. So what is the religion the teens hold to in such high regard? Here we go. Smith and Denton sum it up as moralistic, therapeutic deism. What's that mean? Hold on. Here's what it means. The belief that religion is about doing good and being happy, watched over by a distant and benign creator whose purpose is largely to help us feel better about ourselves. And where do teenagers learn this faith? The evidence is overwhelming. There is no generation gap. And they love church. So they learned it from their parents. They learned it from their churches. Even their conservative Protestant churches. End quote. My, oh, my, oh, my. And is it any different here? And if it isn't any different, what shall we do as a community of faith to make sure it's different here? This Wednesday evening, House of Prayer, brand new season. You'll never be the same again. It's called Truth Tables. I'm inviting back my friend Rich Constantinescu. Can you give a reason for your faith? Now, the students aren't back yet. We're going to plaster this campus with posters these next few days. Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, right here. Can you give a reason for the faith that is within you? Ten of the greatest Bible teachings, the ten greatest truths, we're going to give you four texts for each truth. Four texts. You memorize those four. You memorize those four. Give a reason for the faith that is within you. Wednesday evening. I don't care if you're a teenager or not. You may have a teenager. Bring your teenager here. Wednesday evening, 7 o'clock, House of Prayer. I hope you're here. Now, Dave said, no children's story. Actually, there is a children's story, but I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I want to know. Come on, boys and girls. Be proud of being a boy and a girl. Are there any boys and girls here? Would you raise your hand so that I can see you out there? Because I don't want to think that there is not a boy and not a girl. No, you've got to hold them up higher so I can really see you. Are there boys? In, how about in the, oh, in the very back of the balcony as well? Hallelujah. Boys and girls, I want to, put, I want to share a picture with you. 
Here's a picture. May I put it on the screen for you? Do you know what this is? This is a mangrove tree. Come on, boys, girls. That is a mangrove tree. They, these trees grow in southern, warmer climates. They grow right near the water. And as you see from one picture, they even grow in the water. Now, listen to this, boys and girls. Keep your eye on that tree. Danish researchers. Do you know where Denmark is? There's a place called Copenhagen, Denmark. I know somebody who's from Denmark. Danish researchers just two months ago released their findings. They were studying... Do you remember the big tsunami just a year ago? That huge, those huge tidal waves that destroyed so many countries, 11 countries, so many people lost. How sad. They were studying what happened in southern India, southeastern India, Tamil Nadu, the state of Tamil Nadu. And look what they found out, boys and girls. Get this. They discovered that the villages, not all villages were destroyed along that coastline. And the ones that were not destroyed, hold on, boys and girls, the villages that were not destroyed were the villages that were behind the mangrove trees. Let me put another mangrove tree on, on uh, that screen for you. They were the villages just behind those trees on the beach. Did you get that, boys and girls? Now, I want you to look up here to the front. Boys and girls, did you get that? The people who were saved and safe were behind the tree. When they were behind the tree, they were safe. Isn't that something? Now, boys and girls, what is this? You call it out. You tell me. What is this? This is a cross. Is it made out of mangrove wood? No, it is not. But isn't that something, boys and girls? Could it be? That there is an even greater tree than a mangrove tree. And that when villages... And by the way, what's the name of the village we live in? Berrien Springs. Could it be that when villages get behind the tree for the new year, those villagers and those villages will be safe and saved from destruction? You think that's true? Okay, boys and girls. Now, just before we have a prayer together, I need to know this. How many boys and girls this new year want to join me in saying, you know what, Pastor, I want to stay behind Jesus and his tree all this year through. Put your hand up if you'd like to make that prayer and statement to Jesus. Come on, I've got to see your hands now. Is it, how about the second half of the church? Are there hands back there? How about up in the balcony? Yep, yep. Oh, let's pray together. Oh, dear Jesus, thank you so much. The Bible calls your cross a tree. Thank you so much for the truth about this tree, that the villages and the villagers who are behind this tree are safe and saved from destruction this new year. Oh, Jesus, please, this new year. May every boy and girl in this parish, may every mom and dad too, may every person gather behind the tree and then safe and saved May we follow Jesus and His cross all the year through. We pray in His name. Amen. Once the government has determined that you are an enemy of the state, it pretty much is over. Is it not? Over the holidays, I began reading a book loaned to be by my friend June Byrne. Title of the book, 
heavenly man. It's the gripping first-person account of a young man in communist China who at the age of 17, can you see it on the screen? At the age of 17, he became a Christian and eventually a leader in the house church movement. This happened just uh, 20 years ago in the 80s. But because he refused to join Mao's free self-movement for government-controlled churches, he was hunted as an enemy of the state. In four weeks, four weeks from today, I'm going to read to you his personal account of torture at the hands of the authorities. I was telling a friend of mine just this week, I have never read an, an account of human suffering so painfully moving as this one that I'm going to share with you four weeks from today. Once the government has determined that you are an enemy of the state, it's pretty much over, is it not? Another book just hit the nation's shelves this week, and oh, it's creating its own buzz. I'm talking about James Risen's new book, State of War, in which he reports on the clandestine activities of our own government, all in the name of national security. Because I know what you're thinking. You're saying, hey, listen, I, I can understand about communist China. That's a pagan and communist government. Something like that would never happen in a Christian land like ours. Hmm. In this book, he reports on secret wiretaps, secret air flights, secret interrogations, secret coercion methods. And frankly, I need to tell you, I'm not quite so sure anymore that it could not happen here. Because once a government has determined you are an enemy of the state, it's pretty much over, isn't it? In fact, let me add a second element to that proposition. When both the secular state and the established church declare you public enemy number one, it really is over, isn't it? Open your Bible, please, to the Gospel of St. John, chapter 19. The Gospel of John, chapter 19, please. The recorded case of Jesus of Nazareth versus... State of Rome and Church of Jerusalem. John chapter 19, A.D. 31, probably the end of March. It is a Friday morning when we pick the narrative up. John chapter 19, I'll be in the New International Version today. John chapter 19, let's pick it up in verse 8. And when Pilate heard this, because the religious authorities have just announced that this man that you have on trial thinks he's the Son of God. When Pilate heard this... He was even more afraid, verse 9, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from, he asked Jesus, but Jesus gave him no answer. Verse 10, do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? And then Jesus answers, verse 11, you would have no power over me. If it were not given to you from above, therefore the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jews kept shouting, if, you're, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. Since when were the people on Caesar's side? Since when? <laughs> and when Pilate heard this, verse 13... He brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the stone pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. I have knelt on the very stone. Archaeologists are sure it's the very stone upon which 
Pilate sat that Friday morning. Verse 14, it was the day of preparation of Passover week, about the sixth hour. Behold your king, here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted back, verse 15, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Incredulously, Pilate answers, shall I crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. It is the most astounding confession that Jewish religious authorities make in all the New Testament. We have no king, no king but Caesar. Had they been sane that morning, they would not have been caught dead uttering that hated confession privately, let alone publicly. But now in the insane grip of desperation, desperate to eradicate one man they determined to be public enemy number one, the priests plead for a collusion between the established church and the secular state. It is a Faustian bargain. And they will sell their souls for that alliance. So desperate are they. Verse 16. And so finally, Pilate handed Jesus over to them to be crucified. And so the soldiers took charge of Jesus. A terrible marriage of convenience at the dreadful price of collusion between church and state. But isn't it stunning, folks? Come on, just think about this for a moment. Isn't it stunning that the salvation of the human race was actually achieved through that very collusion? Verse 17. And so carrying his own cross... Jesus went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Verse 18, here they crucified him and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. The salvation we have gathered on this day, this first Sabbath of the new year to celebrate, was sealed through the collusion of church and state. And one day our own extermination will be decreed as a result of the same alliance. But now I'm giving the theme away for our new series. Prequel today, but actually we'll begin next Sabbath. A new series entitled Eternity's Edge. New visions for an aging movement. The collusion of church and state always ends in extermination. Come on. Just ask the Waldenses of the Dark Ages about a church-run state. Just ask the Jews of the Holocaust about a state-run church. I tell you what, state-run church, church-run state, either way, the collusion is always demonic and always deadly. Always. Verse 30. And when Jesus had received the drink, He said, It is finished. And with that, He bowed His head and gave up His spirit. Now, verse 31, it was a day of preparation. That would be Friday. And the next day was to be a very special Sabbath. Because the Jews did not want the bodies left up on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. Verse 33, but when they came to Jesus and found out that He was already dead, they did not break His legs. Instead, verse 34, one of the soldiers 
pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. Verse 36, these things happened so that the Scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of His bones will be broken. And as another Scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Hey, but I tell you what, folks, lest we be too hard, come on, lest we be too hard, too prematurely upon the state and the church, let us be, all of us, reminded of our own marriages of convenience, of our own collusion between the secular and the spiritual, of our own alliances between the pagan and the religious, of our own unions between the unholy and the holy. I tell you what, I have to confess that I am just as adept, I am just as skilled as those chief priests in marrying the pagan and the sacred in my own heart and life. We do it when we feed on the pagan through our eyes. We feed on the pagan through our ears. And then we cry out, we have no king but culture. We do it when we attempt to marry the unholy and the holy. We do it in the church. We do it in the school. We do it at home. And then we call it acceptable and cry out, we have no king but compromise. We do it when we profess to be the followers of this same Christ, but privately we excoriate and condemn one another with an almost pagan vitriol. And then we cry out, we have no king but criticism. We do it. When we set out to achieve some great deed, or perhaps not so great deed, for the kingdom of God, but we marry that act with pagan self-boasting, and then we cry out, we have no king but ego. We do it. When we fill our body temples with overindulgence of even that which is good, and then we cry out, we have no king but appetite. No, let's not be too hard on church and state. When we have our own marriages of convenience and our collusions of the pagan with the sacred. Paul knew them too. Which is why, by the way, this very stiff warning from the mighty Christian Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 21. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You can't drink one cup on Sabbath and another cup all week. You can't. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Paul simply getting his cue from the Lord Jesus Himself. You remember these words in the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or she will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Pretty somber warnings. You know why? Because it's impossible to survive. Such an alliance. You can't survive it. It'll kill you. Which is why Calvary, hallelujah, Calvary is the shining truth about another collusion. The collusion of the twin flow from the riven sight of Jesus that Friday afternoon. Look at that, verse 34 again. And instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. For all our guilty collusions, for all of our marriages of convenience, there flows today, hallelujah, there flows today the twin stream of Calvary, of blood and of water. Today we gather so that His blood and His water might wash over us 
and wash us all over blood, blood, so that we might be saved. Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Water so that we might be cleansed. And if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to what? And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We gather today so that His blood and His water might wash over us and wash us all over. We gather today to proclaim we have no king but Jesus. Hallelujah. We have no king but Jesus. For I have served Him with a divided heart way too long. I have allowed Caesar to usurp the throne of my life. A throne today that I wish to give back to the rightful king. With the cry, we have no king. No king but Jesus. So you see, Pilate's Pilate's call on that Friday morning, Behold your King, is what we have come today to do. We have come to behold our King, His crown, His thorns, His cross, the throne. We have come today. You know why? Because I want to re-choose. I want to re-choose Jesus to be my King. I want to re-choose today and today and today until Jesus comes. Do you too? I know you do. I tell you what, folks. We are living at the edge of eternity. One of these days... As this new series will remind us, one day it will be our turn to stand all alone before the colluded powers of church and state. To stand unflinching, unyielding in our loyalty to God, all alone one day, just like Jesus, which of course means we will not be standing alone that day. Hallelujah. We will not be alone. It may feel alone. It may look alone, but we will not be alone. For surely the one who died for us will stand beside us even as we die for Him. But we're getting ahead of ourselves in this new series. Suffice it to say, you are never alone when you have no King but Jesus. But, Holy Father, until that rest comes beyond the river, there is this life and this new year. And we are humbly and earnestly praying that by Your grace and through Your Spirit, we might stay at the foot of this cross the whole year through. Oh, God, the blood that saves us, the water that cleanses us. In just a moment, we pick up the emblems, the bread, the cup, and the towel. Oh, Father, first Sabbath of the new year, wash us clean today, right now. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.